0: Welcome to the Arts and Antique Radio Show, where your host, nationally recognized, certified appraiser, Elizabeth Stewart, Santa Barbara's Treasure Sleuth, will help you put a value on the treasures in your own home.
1: Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven?
0: So let's find out. How valuable is it?
2: Hello, 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 Santa Barbara! It's your chantress of everything valuable and beautiful, Elizabeth Stewart. Hey, Richard, where are you? I am here uh, in the
0: studio. Um, the my, you know how the video tends to really eat up bandwidth. It's been locking yeah. up my computer, so uh, you'll see me pop in when I give you the two minutes and all that good stuff. But uh, I'm here oh, okay. and enjoying this okay. fabulous weather.
2: Yes, yes. Um, I will tell you that um, uh, the, the lake house I, I bought in Lake Arrowhead a couple of years ago at the beginning of COVID got nine feet of snow. And sorry, nobody nine can go. Feet? nine feet? Nine feet in Lake Arrowhead. Nobody can go. I mean, I just heard from um, my neighbor that he's locked in his house for the next four days for sure. And he actually hiked, hiked through the big snowdrifts to um, get groceries. I mean, it's it's craziness up there. They've called in the National Guard. I mean, it, it's it's nuts because Kel's is night. Well, we're not used to nine feet of snow. <laughs> so well, we anyway. A, um,
0: we had quite a bit of snow up at our place. Not nine feet and not even nine inches, but I've got a, I'll, I'll send you the link to all of the photos and videos that I took, but oh. Well, you show gosh. me. Yeah, you're up, you're up on top 54, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, spectacular. And you got snow? Snow. Yeah. It's funny, too, because I I was taking photographs. uh, um, uh, Santi would probably appreciate this. I did not use a filter, but it looks like I used a black and white filter in the afternoon of Saturday. And then Sunday, I put I must have put on a intensify the colors filter because the white and the green and the blue were just amazing. Just amazing.
2: Well, you know, you I know you like cold weather. Yes, I do. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, I wanted I wanted to introduce a friend of mine, and I always follow what she does because she's so creative, everything she comes up with blows my mind. Um, and she's an artist up in Ohi, and she runs um, a transformational theater for the community called Ovate. Um, and uh, I just think that she is uh, Susan Kalajian, and I think she is amazing. Uh, and she's put together this thing. And how, why this intrigued me was that she put together a thing, Richard, called the Furious Collaboration Project. Um, so, you know, let me take you back, Richard, to the Oristia. There's, um, a very famous Greek play, uh, Euripides, where here's, um, the community and the community is sick to death. Uh, not all the community, one one half of the community is sick to death that they do not get the respect they feel they should deserve. Well, this one half is the female half of the community. And what they come up with during the play to establish respect is aided by the help of the Furies. And they're, they're the Greek goddesses. Uh, they're Sort of like Richard, a little bit um perhaps Kali would be a good, a good example oh. because you know Kali has the, the ability to give birth, but the ability to 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 uh kill. Um, and you know, this is uh, this and so here's here's Susan in Ohio saying, you know, let's get together. We we're just kind of tired. Um that in the light of a thousand years of trauma, we still don't as women have the kind of standing and respect. You know, it's since um <laughs> well, since Eschelus wrote The Furies, uh Euriziorestaya, we've had a good two thousand plus years of the same kind of treatment. So so Susan figured, okay, let's get together a collaborative project. She got together some wonderful artists, and not only that, she's got together some sponsors. I just, I wanna just give you a list, very quick list of the sponsors that she's pulled together from the community. Uh, Kim Maxwell Studio, Ohay Valley Women's Club, Flourish, Tony Allen and Ventura County Businesswomen, uh, Greta Balian and Lavina Design, Susan Jones, Laura Deckers, Denise Heller and Proper Beauty, Cal Lutheran University, OHI Talk of the Town, Holly Roberts Photography, Sammy Zeringer, Vito Gregori Music, Michelle Blackwell and MAB Studios, and the OHI Valley Inn. So, those are just part of the sponsors. And she's got, if you go onto the website to Ovate, O V A T E, you will see the photo of the cast. And the cast is vast. There's mostly women, as you would have imagined. Uh, there's two males in the cast, one of which is uh, Chase, and Chase is uh, Susan's son, also a brilliant performer and handsome as all get out. Um, and you will see that you can have buy tickets to a general seating performance with no division of the audience and the performers to be held at the Ojai Valley Women's Club March 10th through the 19th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, What that means, open seating, if you've never been in a theater where it's open seating, you're in for an experience because you're part of the action. And uh, I begged Susan to give me 20 minutes. She's got rehearsal coming up and she's got to leave us pretty soon. But I begged her to come on and tell us a little bit about her project, how she put it together. Um, Ovade, of course, is her baby dedicated to providing process-focused training in contemporary classical world theater. She's always multi-generational. Every time I talk to her, she's got a cast from eight years old to 89 years old, and uh, um, and this particular performance is just the same. She has pulled together some featured artists. Our friend, Lynn Creighton, who's a master sculptor, I spoke to Lynn about reclaiming the sacred source um, it's a very interesting book that she's done, an illustrated book. Um, she she actually uh, is is quite an oracle, in my opinion. Um, and and her sculptures are beautiful. Uh, and Victoria McGee, trauma author of a trauma toolbox, is one of the featured artists. I want to know, Susan, how did this come together? Did you have it? Is Is it a play? It, oh, yeah,
3: yeah. Let me let me explain what's happening yeah, explain. it's a. Kind of an experience, I guess you would call it. Um, but I do want to correct you. Actors don't go to rehearsal this early. I'm going to my day job in a, in a few minutes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I, you know, you know, I'm a director. And so I put together what's called a devised theater piece. And devised theater pretty much can be explained that people collaborate together. So uh, we pulled Aeschylus is the Furies. And I pulled it apart. And took a couple translations and pulled out what I thought was quite relevant to what's going on today, both on the political division and the um, gender issues, and just basically human rights issues that yeah, was, basically <laughs> was was is continuing um, from when the playwrights were writing this. Several thousand years ago, and they are were writing about history at the time too. So, as Lynn Creighton puts in her book uh, *Reclaiming the Sacred Source*, it's been five thousand years of oppression. I, I think it's longer, but you know that is that is debatable, and there's a lot of factors that go into it. So, in any case, so I don't like proselytize my ideas. My, what I had was re- a reaction to the Roe v. Wade reversal, and and in a deeper sense. So it wasn't necessarily about a political agenda for me to, to choose sides on that debate. And the, and then what came through, what happened was it felt like it opened up um, again, the the statement that whatever you believe in, as far as the sides politically, women are still being uh, subjugated and and lesser. So our rights are getting taken away no matter what side we are on. And I felt a rage come up in me and feel tired of like, you know, my my parents' generation, my generation growing up with this, watching it. And also I have a filmmaker, a friend, who, whose name is Camila Lopez, and she wrote a film and directed called Equal Means Equal, talking about that the ERA still isn't ratified. So it 38 states have passed, um, that it can it can be ratified, but we still don't have an equal rights amendment and 90% of the country don't doesn't understand that. And so it's like, I did not know that. Didn't you think in the 70s we got the the equal rights amendment passed? Yeah. So yeah. everybody's agreed on it, but it literally hasn't been ratified, which in, in a short kind of um, layman's term means the president has to sign a piece of paper and put it in a file. And not a single president since that time has put it in a file. Okay. So in any case, I had a reaction. I was in Mississippi at the time. I was at an artist um, residency. I created a a fury mask to get my angst out of it. And then I thought during making the fury mask, there's got to be other people that are angry about this and we need
2: to channel it as artists. Excellent. And how cool. So, you know, um, this idea that the mask, so that, okay, so dear listeners, so what Susan is talking about, you know, she's, she's quite the scholar of mythology and her her idea of this mask is that the mask is a persona. Well, what is, that's the name in Greek for mask, persona. So what is a persona? Well, it's been used in our language English to say, well, it's the pro, it's the projection of our selfhood. Which is interesting because the mask is supposed to be masking, but yet in this case it's the projection of selfhood. Um, and classically, you know, the Furies' mask has three faces, right, Susan? Yeah, yeah. Explain
3: that a little. Well, um, it, this is morphed into a performance. So we did a three months writers' workshop to yeah. have contemporary viewpoints, and I have three young women who are playing the Furies and it's a really interesting point that you brought up about kali and i i want to just put the question out there why are why are there so many female monsters why are there creatures why why even in mythology we have been demonized
2: yeah yeah it's i think i can say that you know this would this would be a, a whole dissertation i think but that the, <laughs> the idea is that there's a um uh there's there's two or three parts to that to the answer number one is that i think females have always been the unknown um because what we can do in gender life is mysterious what we can do when we raise life is also mysterious and when there is no explanation or no ability to uh Copy this in the on the other gender. No, 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 male really until very shortly could ever give birth. Uh, so that becomes vicious. What is not quantifiable becomes vilifiable. Area suspicion, but yeah, area <laughs> for suspicion. Um, and you know, this crops up. It's very interesting. There's a, a lot of history about. Um, the idea of, of, believe it or not, crises, petulance, plague, and females.
3: We, we we actually talk about that. We actually talk about climate change and the killing of the female and Mother Earth. And we have our play is packed with lots of images from ancient Sumeria to biblical texts to modern right. day
2: talking. Yeah, we, we don't miss it. And we're not vilifying men at the same time. It's so funny because you know it, it, I was talking with this interest you being a director Susan but a couple of months ago I was talking with the um the cast of The Crucible over at Santa Barbara High a very mature subject matter for high school drama right. and um you know The Crucible very interesting because there there were some very alive young females in that um In fact, fact, the director had done a really interesting thing and cast one of the judges, one of the Puritan judges, not as a male, but as a female. So she was actually a female actor Mm -hmm. performing a male role. I mean, very interesting. Their thoughts on this whole issue that you're discussing, the Roe v. Wade and the um, oppression of women. That was actually being worked in by these eighteen-year-olds into the crucible. So I think you're picking up on a real current zeitgeist here, with the younger. I'll young. tell you about that when we come back. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, Richard. Yes, ma'am. Let's go to quick break. Is that behind you a shot of the of the snow in Santa Barbara? Uh, well, that's a this- shot
0: of the snow that fell on the uh, Monday previous. I'll, I'll throw up a picture of the, the snowfall
2: uh, on that uh, Saturday, last Saturday. <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff happening in our world today. A lot of interesting stuff. I'm speaking with Susan Kale- T- Garajian, and we're talking about Ovate, the Ohio Valley Artist Theater Ensemble. Their really cool collaborative piece about women called the Furious Collaboration Project. And I want to know more when we get back from the break. Don't turn that dial Back in a second. Welcome back. It's Susan Katerian. And we're talking about this wonderful performance uh, opportunity, by the way. Uh, come up to Ojai and see this. uh, It's called Furious. It's a collaborative project. The cast is magnificent. Susan was telling me during the break that she's been working on this project for three months with 17 writers and all kinds of other multimedia artists uh, to mount the project. And just a shout out, Ojai Women's Club is the performance March 10th through the 19th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. What's really cool is Susan mentions in her emails uh, it'll be lawn chair seating you're going to be in the in the in the performing circle and if you haven't been in that kind of a setting in in theater it's it's pretty it's pretty electric um Susan just you were you were wanting to just finish up with a comment um yeah about the idea that that this younger generation of women are really paying attention and I wondered if you had experienced that with some of your younger writers as you collaborated.
3: Yeah this was a surprise and I'll just end on this is that when we decided to do this project we thought there's going to be women of a certain age like around my age that would you know we've already been through certain women's rights issues and so and 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 mostly in ohio the the medium age is, is 50 plus so we thought that we'd be getting some some of that we we got mostly young people So 20 somethings came in gung ho, they jumped on it. They've got a great voice. They've been teaching us lots of stuff. We've learned about gender roles and how to use technology and all sorts of things that um, what my theater company's mission is, is multi-generational, multicultural, et cetera. So they jumped in and there's three incredible young 20 somethings that are doing the furies, including the rest of the cast, of a 16-year-old that wrote her original song "Attitude Is a Habit." Her name is Maya Muderis, and she performs it on stage as well. We've got an amazing cast, age um, 16 to 84, and that's all I'm going to say. 84. Well, Lynn is—I'm not going to give it away, but you know we've got some we've got some elder states women in there, and we also are making a documentary that is going to um, be about devised theater and how art can save lives. So there you have it. I'm going to let you go to your next guest. Uh, love you lots. Thanks for having me on. And have thank a great you, day. Susan. And
2: good good luck with the show. That is the coolest thing, though, that you're doing a video about collaborative theater in general. Yeah. And presenting that, it's when you say art can save lives. It's really interesting. Richard and I, uh, um, during the pandemic, we we had the opportunity because we were so shut down to kind of reach out to the artistic community and a couple people. In your line of work, we're like, oh, yeah, we'll speak to my friend in New York and and they're doing something really interesting. So, you know, our little show was branching out. We spoke to a theater company in New York, uh, Classical Theater, just like yours. And, and um, uh, I said, so, you know, how are you guys doing? I know you're, you're having to learn technology to do any kind of performing, et cetera, et cetera, And he said, gosh, darn it, we didn't say it like that, but we can't put it on the air. I don't know why. New York City isn't calling the artists because we're the problem solvers. We are the problem solvers. I don't know why they're not reaching out to the artistic community in New York City with the regards to this pandemic, because we got some ideas. That's another conversation. That is another conversation. <laughs> Thanks Susan, appreciate it. You're welcome, it. Hey, Richard. Bye. Let's go to a quick break. When we get back from the break, a real special power couple Uh, that I've been looking at, and I've got some really interesting comments and questions for them. Uh, They're going to be speaking at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art, because in their wisdom, the Santa Barbara Museum of Art has has mounted a show where they're showing the work of certain artists, certain two artists, actually, that were a, a couple. And what is so fascinating to me, Richard, is that They've reached out to the community for the Real Powerhouse couple, Couples in Arts and they've invited them to speak about a shared life as creatives. And so I've got Michael Jorgensen who's coming to speak to us and his partner are the other way around as well, uh, Cassandra C. Jones. And I knew of Cassandra. Probably a year ago, Richard, because I had an appraisal of uh, a work of hers, which was the size of a wall. And I can't tell her who bought it or wh- uh, what it was, but it was stunning. And um, I had the opportunity to look at her body of work about a year ago when I was trying to write about this this piece for my client. Um, and I was blown away. It's in his main room. And you see this piece, uh, and it is it is also a collaborative piece. We'll talk about that. Um, but just to say that uh, I have been a fan <laughs> for this year. And when I saw that name come up, I said to the museum, could I speak to both of those guys, both of those artists, Mikhail and, and also. Uh, my 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 goddess artist and they said yeah that was the they they actually said I could, I could speak to these two Richard so let's go to a quick break Cassandra and Mike did you say Michael or Mikhail Michael 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 and Cassandra will be back with us in a second and I want to introduce and brag on them a little bit and then we're going to talk about um, their journey as creatives that are in the house together. My God, I'd probably kill somebody if that was the case. Okay, don't turn that down back in a minute. this Richard so Michael Jorgensen is here he's a Grammy award winning musician yeah isn't that cool the sound winning musician engineer and composer uh, since 2002 he's been recording a touring member of the band Wilco but that's just the tip of the iceberg I just had this amazing fun time last night looking at all the music that he's pulled together and all the people that he's helped um, with sound and also developed his own platform um, he writes, I love making music and the creative collaboration. So many interesting, unexpected results happen when you are working with creative and thoughtful people. And then I go on to find out that one of my heroes, um, his father, Michael Jorgensen's father, a- actually worked for um, <laughs> Bob James. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the most sampled, I guess, second most sampled musician in the entire universe. And uh, 30 years after the senior Jorgensen's collaboration, Richard, Michael shows up 30 years later at a performance and says, oh, by the way, I'm such and such a person. Well, he did this marvelous film as well. So um, uh, just just recent music. What's recent? Check it out. Check it out. If you have a chance, Richard, you could. um, Michael Jorgensen, J-O-R-G-E-N-S-E-N. Studios, take a look at the um, ah, what can I say, Richard? It's uh, oral storytelling. Okay, Moneyball Blues, even still, and not where the story ends. They did their best in jest, lizard music, and lizard music is also a um, fanciful, interesting, hypothetical narrative. Um, spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. It is. I watched it, and you can see it. Take a look at Lizard Music. It's on YouTube, and that's one of Michael's inventions. Uh, oh, but let's see. Um, uh, let's see. What are some of the other oh, uh, recent recent cues? We've got a whole list of recent cues that he's done. Really interesting. I looked at Old Lang Syne. You'll never hear Old Lang Syne the way that is performed. Um, <laughs> Western Blues was another one, and the subtitle is a, a Tear in Your Craft Beer. I should send that to my son, who's a millennial. Um, <laughs> and then we've got um, a film about the James Webb, Webb Space Telescope. It was so interesting because I, when I was speaking to Susan the last part of this hour, she had a shot from James Webb right behind her. I don't know if you saw that, Michael. Um, and, and then uh, Michael began in 2022 hosting the Ojai Underground Exchange. And I had this wonderful experience of looking um, through what, the kind of music that they play at the exchange. So they get together and people bring their own favorite songs, and um, is it Betty or something? There's a a musician that I discovered that was listening through, you know, everybody brings their songs and then that's recorded. Michael records that and says, okay, this is the kind of thing and they all sit and they listen collaboratively. Now you might think, well, what's the difference? You know, I'm listening on the YouTube, I've got my great stereo, I've got my Macintosh going, blah, blah, blah. What's the difference that I'm listening collaboratively? listening to this is what michael says listening to recorded music as a group is a profoundly different experience than listening by yourself it comes highly recommended and this is from a professional what do you call it specialist in oral oral um oral visual oral storytelling okay now let's brag a little on cassandra c jones I told you that I walked into a, a mansion and I saw one particular large wall f- filled with a, a major a, a major multimedia installation by Cassandra. And I, I uh, had the pleasure of looking at her, opera to understand. Um, I didn't need to understand too much about how you work because the work spoke for itself. But just a little background. Um, she is interested in digital photography. She uses that to create collage installation and video works. Now talk about the collaboration between these two creatives. We've got an oral storyteller and we've got a visual storyteller. She writes She writes that she works to spin narratives mm-hmm. and present a prismatic reflection of a self-involved, love this, self-involved, technologically based, snap, happy, contemporary lifestyle. She does this to offer possibility of growth, space, and discovery. With that space, she's looking for magic and transformation. Uh, I have right here uh, all the shows that um, that she's been in, and I was most interested to know that she's designed for opera for the Limby Bowl. So here again, it's an ohio connection. She co-hosted with her um, partner, Michael, Friday Flights at the Getty Center, and then Check this out, the residencies. Um, she's been, a re- this is what really interested me about her bio, the residencies. Taft Garden Nature Preserve in Ojai. Uh Southern Graphics Conference visiting artist in Richmond, Virginia. Aegon Shele Art Centrum, yay, in Czech Republic. Drake Hotel Artist re- Residency in Toronto. Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. The Heinz Endowment Fellow. That brings me back to the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater where I used to dance. Um, Hall Farm Educator for the uh, Education for Center. Uh, sorry, Hall Farm Center for Arts and Education, Atlantic Center for the Arts, et cetera, Smyrna Beach to Georgia, um, Florida, and the Fachhochschule Schwäbische Hall in Schwäbische, Germany. These are residencies. And um, it, it, it's funny, you, Susan was saying she was just in a residency in, in Mississippi. She learned as much as she did from her mentors, as she did from the students that she was in residency supposed to teach. And I imagine that's the same. I know we're gonna go to quick break. When we get back now, I've introduced the two of them. I want them to talk about um, their life together. Um, I won't be at banal and say how they met. We'll just skip that over and we'll just say, you know, what's it like being a creative, uh, and I, I want to preface that really quickly before we go to break by saying my mother was the first female graduate of Juilliard in conducting and she had perfect pitch. We were four kids. She was a single mom. Growing up, she drove us crazy because she taught and she had perfect pitch and even an alarm clock that wasn't wound up. You know how you had to do that in the past properly I didn't have the perfect pitch it would send her over the top. Living with a woman like that was so tough that I thought, oh my gosh, this has got to be something I want to know from Michael and Cassandra. Don't turn that dial back in a minute. Welcome back. It's Elizabeth Stewart. The pleasure of talking with Michael Jorgensen and Cassandra C. Jones, a couple. They live up in Ohio. Their studios are up in Ohio. He is a sound, oral, storyteller, creator, collaborator. She's a visual storyteller, collaborator. Um, and I want to know, do the obviously those things intersect because you've done group talks to prestigious organizations such as the Getty. Um, What is the similarity between what both of you do, do you think? I mean, you do reach down to some Wellsprings.
4: I'm not sure what the similarity is between what we do. We both appreciate each other's work intensely and we both hold it with reverence. And we um, we have this very deep understanding that between the two of us, and we always have, and I couldn't have married him without this understanding, is that our creative practice has pretty significant priority in our lives. And when one person has to go do something, it is never a no. It is always a yes. It doesn't matter if the kids need something or there's an event to go to or we, we haven't seen each other in a while or whatever it is always a yes for that person to go do their creative thing. And it's, it's, um, it's an asset to our relationship. I think, uh, before, uh, every, every guy I had dated before we met, um, and we had a very fast and furious courtship. (laughs) We were engaged within six weeks. Um, but everyone I had dated before, um, the priority was more our relationship and not the creative process. And yeah. it was endlessly frustrating to me and um almost demeaning in a way, because all I wanted to do was I wanted to be with someone and I wanted love and affection, but I also desperately wanted to be in my studio all the time. And um and that is what we allow each other to do. And without that, our relationship suffers. We have to have that first and foremost. And we include the kids as much as we have two kids, eight and nine, eight and 11. And um, and they have never known a life other than this. They've never known um, their father to not tour or their mother not to travel to residencies or to be missing for several weeks when she's working on a show. Um, and, um, and we all cheer each other on, always. That's our baseline.
2: So clear you have that understanding. Um, uh, Mary Oliver, a great poet, uh, has a a wonderful essay saying it's the artist's responsibility uh, uh, to be so totally engaged and focused. um, And that's what artists do. And uh, that's first and foremost. Uh, Very interesting. And also, uh, another thing that I'd like to know your reaction, both of you, I was writing something that, um, I, and I was thinking of Cassandra's work. So, um, in, in the New York Times recently, there was an article about the the, the distinction between highbrow, middlebrow, and lowbrow art, and that's been around since 1946. Those two terms, um, Russell Lines was the a, a author who decided that there's going to be a division in in the world of art, high, middle, and lowbrow. And there's a real rethinking of this. And I was thinking about um, Cassandra's work and also Michael's work in all the collaboration. Uh, so so bef- in 1946, when those terms were developed, it's so interesting because there was the idea that there were certain areas in which the art was a pure art form. And, and it seems that both Michael and Cassandra's work, that it it, it, it pulls from a lot of sources. I mean, and Michael himself is sampling uh, um, various sounds. Cassandra's using images that are common culture and making them beautiful, and repeating them, and doing you know um, uh, almost rhythmic designs.
4: And that is uh, something we definitely have in common. We're using yes. we we're using things from outside, yeah, and pulling them in to make our work
2: right. So that's what I was thinking as I was thinking about both of you. That what what's the What's the glue? What's the kingpin? What's the glue? And I was thinking, well, here's a couple that don't necessarily adhere to that. I'm, you know, um, I'm an artist. Uh, Because you've got to be looking at the whole entire world to do what you do. Both Mm -hmm. of you, you know, listening to the world in Michael's case and looking at the world in Cassandra's case, not just a certain part of the world, not just the highbrow, Part of the world, let's say, uh, very interesting to be, you know, writing this piece for a scholarly journal and then thinking about and looking at Cassandra's work. And in the background, I'm writing this piece. I've got Michael's, um, especially the Antarctica piece. I just loved that. I thought that was so interesting. I want you to tell us a little bit, Michael, about um, your working with Bob James. How that, how that happened? How, did that expand you as an artist?
1: uh well it's uh it is a deep and meaningful part of my family history and a deep part of my creative and my relationship with music history M- my dad was bob's en- recording engineer starting in 1975 so i was 3 years old when they began a 15 year partnership together and it was during that time that bob had some of the sort of early and wide-ranging success. He was the he wrote the theme to the TV show Taxi, uh, which my dad was the recording engineer of and um all of the people that were in Bob's world, um musicians and and technicians and our engineers, they were a they were a sort of extended family to us growing up. And uh and it was you know we kind of revolved around bob's music and um and then at a certain point uh in around 89 90 my dad and bob decided to part ways professionally and bob you know sort of just dropped off the radar because i was starting my life as a musician and and finding my very different path and hibs and just this past october i i saw that bob was playing at the catalina in uh in hollywood and i thought i gotta go see bob it's you know he's 82. i you know i haven't seen him in 30 years and uh i saw the show he sounded great it was just it was a really remarkable experience to see him again and kind of connect and on the drive back from uh hollywood to ojai i was thinking I can't believe there's not a documentary on Bob James. This guy's got a storied and prolific career, and there's not really a book or any film or anything to sort of chronicle this extraordinary career. And, you know, you say, sometimes I find myself saying things to to my friends that are slightly a dare, and uh, I called up a friend of mine who's a drummer. Uh, his name's Mario Kaliri, amazing drummer and a good friend. And he was supposed to have come with me on that trip, but he couldn't. Um, and on the way home, I was like, man, I can't believe there's not a doc on Bob. And he's like, oh, you need to get in touch with my friend Greg. And so very quickly, this has sort of snowballed. <laughs> Not out of control, but it has grown into this really uh, important project for me that is, you know, a parallel to my music career is that and I'm now directing the documentary on Bob James. And a few weeks ago, uh, we went to the Blue Note in New York City and we're filming Bob performing with Talib Kweli and his band and then interviewing the hip hop artists who have sampled his music. And it was a profound experience. And um we're at the very beginning of this process. So there's uh there's lots more to come.
2: I understand that the dateline on um your your story uh, re- regarding the the filming of Restless, and by the way, dear listener, Restless is the name, it's restless dot dot the Bob James story. Um, the dateline on that is just very, very recent and um you know, it, it's fascinating that this is happening as um, as 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 we're speaking, and it is also the the couple is going to be speaking at uh, San Barbara Museum of Art. This is um, uh, very very um, quickly. Richard's giving a sign. We got to go to break. Why choose the the uh, title Restless?
1: Bob is endlessly curious. He is creatively restless. He is not a person or a figure to spend time looking backwards too much. He is always looking forward to the next project. What's the next what are the next creative challenges I can present myself with? What what can I do that I haven't done before? And that has translated into I think 60 solo albums and I think almost as many Uh, records with other musicians being a sideman or a ranger kind of in a more supportive role and uh, you know to have that many album credits then like still going he's 83 he still sounds incredible and vibrant and you know I was closing my eyes at the at the Catalina and I was like I was transported back to the last time I was at the Blue Note in New York City when I was 12 years old and I was like this is the same, this is the same guy. This is the same energy. It was really beautiful.
2: You know, it, it that almost made me tear up when you said this is a guy that never looks back. He's always like, What's the next thing I can do? What, what a way to live. I mean, you know, uh, wow, if that could be the you know, the 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 line on my business card, boy, wouldn't that be great? It's almost <laughs> impossible to do. You know, okay, Richard, where are you? I'm right here. Okay, so let's go to quick break, and then when we get break, get back from the break, we've got five—well, a little less than five minutes. But um, I would love to hear um, uh, Richard. Okay, Richard, Richard. Yes. Hey, Richard. Yes. Okay. I want you to ask Michael something because you are a sound guy for fifty some years. I want you to ask him something really like deep, interesting that we're going to like. <laughs> put down in the archives at the studio, something (laughs) huge, okay? When we get back from the break. No pressure, no pressure. No No pressure pressure at all, okay. Don't turn that down. I am speaking with a power couple in the creative life, internationally speaking, they live up in Ojai and they're coming down to speak at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art uh, because Santa Barbara Museum of Art is doing a series of talks, interviews, thinking, about creating as a couple. Um amazing. Don't turn that down back in a minute. you're live welcome back it's elizabeth stewart we're just honored to speak with michael jorgensen and cassandra c jones they are a married couple that are, and I was hearing from Cassandra that it is their uh, golden rule, their byline, their Bible, their touchstone, that if there is a project, everything else it sits back and waits. And I think that's so cool. You got to have that. Um, and we were talking a little bit about this idea of uh, complete and utter focus, the, the time to be complete and under focus. Okay, Richard, you're up. Oh, we can't hear him. Okay. Now, Richard, you're a sound guy.
4: I I
0: understand. I understand. But quite honestly, we have 30 seconds, literally. Your inspiration, uh, you go into meditation. What do you do, the two of you, to come up with the stories and then create the music and visuals? In 30 seconds? (laughs) Well, now it's down to 15. So I'll tell you what. Okay, (laughs) I'll I'll answer. I'll
4: answer. I think the goal of an artist is to become your truest possible self. There you go. Elizabeth, we have to literally wrap five
0: seconds. (laughs)
3: Yeah. <laughs>